So I suspect that most of us have heard the expression, a drop in the bucket. Yeah? Yeah, most of us in our life, the idea is that whatever the drop is, be it money or work or time, it's very small and insignificant when uh, we compare it with what's required. So, for instance, let's say I'm starting a building project, and the building project requires 10,000 hours of work. Uh, day one begins, and I do 30 minutes of work and then decide to sit down and take a break. My manager comes along and says, what are you doing? Get up. That 30 minutes is just a drop in the bucket. Or uh, say I want to save up for a new car, and the new car is worth $30,000, and it's been a couple of years, and I only have $30 saved up. Well, at that point, my financial consultant might tell me that I need to budget better because that $30 is just a drop in the bucket. You know, it's easy to feel overwhelmed in those kinds of situations, realizing that what we have or what we've accomplished uh, doesn't seem very significant when we look at the big picture, when we look at what's actually needed. Now, my hunch is that many of us feel the same way when it comes to making a difference in the communities that we are a part of. There are just so many people, and there are so many needs out there. What could I possibly do to make a difference? What could you possibly do to make a dent in all the needs that are in our community? I mean, our small contributions, whether it's sharing our faith, meeting a practical need, simply being a good neighbor, those are simply just drops in the bucket. I mean, if we picture our community as being this bucket and this eyedropper is like our lives, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh-oh, I would never be a good pharmacist here. Oh, no. Oh, here we go. But this is like our life right here. Just a drop in the bucket. Seriously, like, like what difference can you and I make? Um, how could we possibly make an impact on this community? Well, this morning we continue our series entitled Overflow, where we're talking about how the abundant life that Jesus promised us comes not only from receiving God's presence, grace, and love, which is what we looked at throughout a season of Lent, but also how it's the result of letting that abundance uh, overflow from our lives to the lives of others. And so today I want to explore with you how this overflow might be lived out in the communities that we're a part of and how I believe that our drop in the bucket is more than enough to make a significant impact on our community. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to um, work in our hearts and minds this morning. As we take a look at the scriptures, we pray that you'd um, allow that, those words to shape us, to mold us. I pray that, that you'd give us the grace to yield our lives afresh to you and the work that you're doing. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read a, a portion of John's Gospel, chapter 2, the famous wedding that took place at Cana. So let me start reading in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, 
they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Well, believe it or not, uh, there's a lot that we can learn from this passage about making a difference in our communities. Now, it's important to understand that this was a community event here. A wedding like this would have most likely involved the entire village as well as possibly neighboring villages in the area. So it was a really big deal. And the fact that they ran out of wine was also a pretty big deal. Jewish wedding celebrations were long. Like, I mean really long. Sometimes as long as a week. I mean, these people knew how to party. And the fact that they ran out of wine was more than just uh, an inconvenient party follow as follow it. Follow foul. <laughs> Having trouble talking here. Um, the couple's parents would have scrimped and saved a really long time to make sure that this wedding went off in style. Every delicacy would have been served in profusion and the wine would have flowed freely. So to have something like this happen in the middle of a wedding celebration would have resulted in pretty like harsh judgment from the people in the community. Um, and it would have just simply been a social disaster and a disgrace in a culture that's rooted in honor and shame. The family would have had to live with this shame for a pretty long time, and the bride and groom might have even seen this as bringing bad luck into their marriage. So Jesus isn't just performing some kind of miracle here to, to, to in a sense, prove that he's divine. It's not some magic trick to impress the masses. Mary, Jesus, and his disciples are actually meeting a real critical need here. And I want to point out three things that I think we can learn from how they did that. First, Mary noticed a need. Mary noticed a need. My guess is that it would have taken a little bit of time for others to begin to realize what happened, most likely when they went to get another round for themselves. But Mary seemed to be more aware than that. It doesn't seem like she was just looking for another glass of Mer Merlot and, and realized that they were out of wine. You get this sense that she noticed, that she was concerned about what was going on. And this began for her by noticing this particular need. I think one of the most significant things we can do for our communities to make a difference is, is, is to start by simply noticing. Uh, what one author refers to as the ministry of noticing or listening with our eyes. Noticing others helps us to begin looking outside of ourselves. If we're going to experience overflow, then the focus needs to be not only on our own life, our own needs, but also the needs and the lives of others. Overflow begins to occur when we turn our gaze 
outward, in other words. You know, as you pass people on the sidewalk or you notice them sitting near you in a coffee shop or a bar, take notice of what people are communicating with their posture, with their facial expressions, with their, with their body language. Such seemingly minor, minor nuances can speak volumes about what's going on inside people's hearts and in their lives. So as you drive through your neighborhoods, look around, pay attention. Are there needs that you notice when you're driving through your communities? Read your local newspaper. Make that a habit. Make that a practice. Get a pulse for what's going on in your community. When people engage in conversation with you when you're out there, move from listening with your, ears to begin, with your eyes to really begin listening with your ears. Notice their tone of voice. Notice what's being said that's not necessarily being communicated by just their words. What needs might they be communicating to you? As you begin to notice people and possible needs, I encourage you to take those needs, take what you notice, and begin to talk to God about those things. Maybe you pray for each person you pass as you're walking your dog. Or maybe as you drop your kids off at school, you take a moment to pray for the teachers. Or maybe as you drive by your neighbor's home, you pray for them. And if you happen to notice a need, then ask God if there's something you might do to meet that need. Start a conversation about what you notice with Jesus and see what happens. Mary noticed a need, and we too, I believe, are invited to a ministry of noticing, to practice noticing. That's the first thing that Mary did. The second thing that Mary did is she got involved. She not only noticed the need, but she was willing to actually get involved to meet that need. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find myself able to relate much more with Jesus' response to Mary. Why do you involve me? You know, uh, why are you telling me this, Mom? Can't you see that I'm hanging out with my friends? We're enjoying the celebration. We're enjoying the party. This wasn't the plan. It was inconvenient. It was unexpected. But here's what I'm beginning to realize. It's taken me a long time, but I'm slowly beginning to realize that it's often in these very moments, the unexpected, those moments that are inconvenient for us, that God is inviting us to step into the flow and be Christ for other people. And so I believe that in order for us to grow in our ability to respond in these moments, we need to practice or make it a habit of simply getting involved. And I believe we can do that by making some conscious, intentional choices with our lives. We do this when we not only notice what's happening in our communities, but when we decide to get involved in what is happening with our communities. Now we can start by simply being intentional about, for instance, shopping at the same stores on a regular basis, eating at the same restaurants, getting to know the people who work there, learning their names, being willing to be inconvenience, for instance, by standing on a longer checkout line so that you can uh, continue to chat with a clerk who maybe you've gotten to know. Find out what's happening locally and then take a part in that. You know, get involved in a, 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 a gym or a club or a, a community group. Volunteer at your kid's school or the local food pantry. And if you find that you're too busy because you're involved in too many activities here at church, then actually drop one of those so that you can be the church out in the community. Practice getting involved. Third, Jesus 
was willing to break the rules. Jewish law required that hands be ceremonially washed before meals, and sometimes this included feet as well. Now, since this was such a large celebration, it was appropriate that they had six large stone jars which would have been used for this purpose. Now, whether or not these specific jars were the ones used throughout the duration of the, the wedding party, one could be pretty sure that these are not the kind of jars that you would want to put your drinking water in. Not only would this have been religiously unacceptable, the water being deemed ritually unclean, but it would have been simply gross to do this. No respectable person would use those containers and the water that were in those for making wine. It would be like me filling up my bathroom sink with punch and then serving it to my guests. Oh, where's the punch, Adam? Oh, it's in the bathroom in the sink. try that sometime. <laughs> and yet, that's exactly what Jesus does here. He's willing to break religious rules and normal cultural expectations in order to meet a need. And that wasn't an exception. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus was doing this all the time. He was always breaking out rules and always hanging out with people who were socially unacceptable because sometimes making a difference requires us to be different. For instance, my cat, or my cat, my wife cat. <laughs> I'm, I'm, showing you, I'm, show, I'm showing you what not to do here. My wife cat works part-time as a bartender at the alehouse in Grafton, and sometimes when people find out about that, they're really confused. They're like, isn't your husband a pastor? Like, people have even said, does he allow you to do that? <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to know how she responds to that. <laughs> it's often unexpected, culturally unexpected, but here's the rub. She's made more connections in our community and impacted more unchurched people than I ever will sitting down in my office writing sermons like these. And I often tell people that she probably does more pastoring in one night tending bar than I do in an entire month doing professional pastoral ministry. Making a difference requires us to be different sometimes, to practice breaking the rules. I'm not saying that we should all quit our jobs and become bartenders. But what I am saying is that God will often invite us to step outside the religious boxes that we've created for ourselves or the cultural expectations that often define our behavior so that we can get involved and meet the needs of people who will more than likely never find themselves stepping inside a church building. And sometimes it means sometimes just being willing to be uncomfortable, uh, to do the unexpected. For instance, uh, last week, Kat and I were shopping at Costco, and we approached the avocado stand. We usually get avocados. And we noticed an older woman who was also looking at the avocados, and she remarked to us how much she was disappointed in this current batch of avocados and wondered if they had switched brands, which it seems like they had. And so we started talking with her about our mutual avocado concerns since we had also had a bad batch of avocados. When out of the blue, politics entered the conversation. Now, it was quickly discerned between the two of us uh, that we were on opposite ends of the political spectrum. And while that could have been cause for a heated debate at the avocado stand, 
Instead, it ended in, in something very unexpected. It ended in us learning each other's names and an unexpected but welcome hug from her to both of us. It was really crazy. And then later, we were in the checkout line right behind her, and she remarked, she just stopped and she remarked to us how wonderful it was to encounter friendly people in the community. And she just had this big beaming smile. It's like, it's like what she experienced from us and what we experienced from her was unexpected. And we were willing to be a little uncomfortable by embracing a stranger outside the avocado stand in Costco. Practice noticing, get involved, and be willing to break the rules sometimes. I recently read a story that I think beautifully captures the impact that these three things can have when they come together. It involved a librarian named Mildred and Ollie, an at-risk youth uh, with a pretty bad attitude. One day in his senior year of high school, he decided to skip class, and he went into the library instead to pass some time. And Now, he didn't read very much, practically didn't read at all, but there was a book that suddenly caught his eye. The book was titled The Treasure of Pleasant Valley, an adventure novel by Frank Yerby. And what captured his interest wasn't a sudden desire to read, but rather the woman that was depicted on the front cover. He thought she was kind of hot. Not wanting uh, anybody to see him checking out the book because he was slightly embarrassed, he stole the book. <laughs> yeah, high school kids are weird, you know? Um, and once he got home, he actually started reading it. And he was surprised by how much he actually enjoyed the story. So when he finished it, he actually returned it to the library. And lo and behold, he found another Yerby book on the shelf. So he stole that one as well. He read it. He returned that one. And then when he returned that one, he saw another Yerby book on And he stole that one. This happened a number of times in a row. And it wasn't long before Ali became an avid reader. He was just consuming books left and right. And... All of these books and his newfound love for reading encouraged him to attend college where he eventually earned a law degree. He was then um, later on in his career named prosecuting attorney and now he sits on a uh, circuit court um, bench as judge. Well, returning for, high school re for a high school reunion one year, he spoke to Mildred, the librarian, because he was wanted to confess for all for the stealing of the books that he had done years ago. And when he did that, she just kind of like waved him aside and said, you know, I noticed you steal that first book. She figured that he was embarrassed, but she let him take it anyways because she thought it might spark, it might have an impact on him, spark a love for reading. And then she got the idea of finding more Yerby books for him. So she traveled all around to different used bookstores and, and whatnot to find more Yerby books to get them on the shelf so that when he returned one, there'd be another one waiting for him. And she did this, obviously, a whole mess of times. See, this decision of hers probably changed the entire trajectory of his life. She noticed a need. She was willing to be inconvenienced by getting involved, by traveling all over and getting more books to put on the shelf for him. And she was willing to break the rules by, by not turning him in for stealing the books, knowing that if she did that, if she would have busted him, it probably would have turned him off from his newfound love of books. She practiced noticing. She got involved. 
and she was willing to break the rules a little bit for the sake of meeting a need. Just a drop in the bucket? Sure. But did it make a difference? I think so. And here's the thing that I want you to imagine with me. What if, what if each and every one of us made it a goal to impact at least one person in some form or fashion every single day? Whether it's just a kind word, whether it's, it's being a good neighbor, whether it's meeting a practical need, whether it's just simply affirming and, and giving somebody a smile, affirming somebody. If each one of us made it a point to impact at least one person each day, that would be like adding 365 drops to this bucket right here. Okay? Now imagine a church of 250 people on average, which is close to what we are on a Sunday morning, and we adopt this same practice. Well, each day, well, in, in a it would, in a year, I should say, it would be like adding 91,250 drops to this bucket. Now, this book, bucket is a gallon bucket. How many drops of, of water do you think it would take to fill up this bucket? Any guesses? <laughs> Not 91,250, but right around there, just shy of 91,000. They figure there's about 90,000 some odd drops in, a, in an average gallon of water. Now, do you know how many people live in Ozaki County? As of 2017, there was an estimated 88,429. So here's what I'm getting at. If each one of us adds our drop to the bucket, there would be enough impact to reach as many people as there are living in Ozaki County. In fact, our bucket would actually be overflowing. It would be overflowing. See, though it may not seem like one person can make that much of a difference, oh, just a drop in the bucket. I mean, when I put that one drop in the bucket, I can still kind of see it here. It's like it doesn't even shake out. But if we all did one thing each day and we added our drops together as a community, this bucket would literally be overflowing with impact, be overflowing with, with, with deeds and words that reflect the love of Jesus. It would be enough for us to impact tens of thousands of people each and every year. And I think that we can start by simply noticing needs, getting involved, being willing to break some rules every now and then. And I think if we're willing to do that, I have no doubt that just as Jesus transformed ordinary wash water in some of, into some of the best wine there was, so God can take our ordinary, everyday actions and use them to produce lives overflowing with God's grace and presence and love. Amen?